who would want to see a scene played out like what we just saw of a broken home. And some of you have been there. Some of you have seen the bags packed by a parent, not understanding why they were leaving. Can't you get it together, Mom and Dad? Come on. It's not only a relationship that's broken then, it's a relationship that's broken for generations to come. One generation plays on another on another. But you can stop today. You can choose. You can make some choices. Yes, you can't control everything around you, but you control what you can do in the relational world that you have and that you can have real relationships if you're willing to pull up to the table and do business in your own life. You see, in this series, Real Relationships, we've made mention that there's three critical relationships. The priority, a relationship with God. Your most important relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? How's that one going? And out of that relationship with God, you have a relationship with yourself. In light of who God is and how he's made you and what he's done for you and how he wants to continue to lead you, you should have a healthy relationship with yourself. And then as scriptures teach, as Jesus taught, we're to love others, our neighbors, as we love ourselves. Your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others. These are the three foci, uh, focal points that we've been trying to, to wrestle with. But if we can come down to this one of focusing our relationship with others again today. And I know we sort of had a little bit of park on the marriage thing. And I'm, I'm looking next week at parking on a little bit of the parenting thing kind of aspect. But I, I tell you what, today I just wanted to park on this understanding that you have the ability to make a difference in the relationships you have now and the relationships you're going to have in the future. Some of you have been through a broken marriage. I don't think you'd wish it on anybody, right? How many of you in here long to be married someday? And you would say, yes, I long to be married someday. How many of you long to be divorced someday? Nobody. But how does it happen? Well, sometimes, in one sense, it's outside of your control of what the other person has done or not done. But the reality is you and I, we react to the relationship worlds around us. And we need to have some more intuitiveness of what's going on in that regard. Now, there's different places I could camp and park in this aspect, but some of you actually... um, reminded me of this uh, recently because you did a study in your life groups concerning it, and that is that you went through the DNA of relationships by Gary Smalley. Some of you did that? And in the DNA relationships of Gary Smalley, I went back and looked at that there's some things I thought were pretty good there that maybe we could touch on a little bit today as well as some other things. And in this relationship, DNA world, it's this book right here, actually came out 15 years ago. Gary Smalley wrote this. He's written a lot of books. He says that there are three things in the primary DNA code. You are made for relationships. You're made with the capacity to choose. And you are made to take responsibility for yourself. Now, that sounds sort of heavy today. Isn't there something a little bit more inspirational, like the wind, you know, coming along, sweeping me off my feet, carrying me into the future? That looks like a lot of work up there. But in the DNA of our relationships, this is true. 
And the first one is this whole aspect that you and I were made for relationships. And we've talked some about that. But I would like to take us back to the very first book of the Bible, back to the beginning story. It's actually a story we reflected some on in our rooted groups this week, which is exciting. We had four rooted groups start this week. But in this um, account of Genesis, we find Jesus, we find God um, in relationship with Adam and Eve, his created beings in the Garden of Eden. He placed them in the garden. He wanted to be in relationship with them. He made them in his image, and his image were made relational beings. He created all things, and then he created Adam, and then he saw Adam was by himself. He said that wasn't very good, so he created Eve, and they uh, had this beautiful experience going on in the Garden of Eden, which uh, is in the Middle East. He put a tree in the middle, and the tree in the middle actually had two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say anything about the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, don't, don't eat of that tree. Because you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Now, you ever wonder what Adam would have thought in that moment? Uh, what does that mean? Things are going pretty good here. I like the helpmate you've given me. What do you mean, die? Like, that wouldn't be good at all. I wouldn't want, you know, Eve to die. I wouldn't want to die. You would think that that command would be a command that uh, Adam and Eve took to heart and said, yeah, let let me be wise and stay clear from this. But they didn't, as we know the story to be. So it says this in Genesis 8, 13, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now what's going on here? What happened? Well, we know what happened. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took of the fruit. Apple, whatever, we don't know. They took of the fruit. And as they took of the fruit... Things changed internally within them. They were disobedient to God. And so God shows up on the scene, being a relational being with his relational creatures he created. And he, um, he sort of said, uh, hey, uh, where are you? I was joking this last week in one group. Did God lose his little people? Oh, my goodness, where did they go? Hello, are you over here in this part of the garden? How about this? Hello, in this part of the garden? God didn't lose his people he created. He wanted them to own up to where they were. And so this whole understanding that we're made in relational, as relational beings, it's important for us to own where we are, what's going on, what's happening, all right? And so he called out, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is the first place in Scripture where we find fear, where we find a person afraid. And what are they afraid of? They're afraid of what's now happened in this relationship with God, knowing that they had been disobedient. Fear started to step in. 
And so they hid themselves. They covered up their nakedness. How did they know that they were naked? They lost their innocence. When you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one of the sad things, you think you're going to get to know everything. And the serpent sort of enticed them because saying, hey, God doesn't want you to know everything. He doesn't want you to become like God. So that's why he's telling you not to eat of the tree. And you're like, what? I, okay, let's do that then. Well, boom, the whole dynamic changed. Some of the beautiful innocence, the beautiful thing of a created being in relationship with the Creator was, was broken apart. And so they were shamed. And so they hid themselves. Oh my goodness, I, I don't want you to know me. I don't want you to come after me. And I don't know what that thing you will surely die means. There's a severing of the relationship. The very first significant story in Scripture is about a divorce. A divorce not taken on by God. As we sang the reckless love, He continues to pursue us and the whole story of Scripture unfolds when He sent Jesus Christ as as the Redeemer and the Savior to reconcile us. God's pursuit, His reckless love is there. But the divorce happened because the human being said, we're out. We're out. We don't trust you, God. The first interplay conversation of human beings comes next. The next verse there. Guy, got it? This thing always seems to get stuck on me. Can you click the slide? Thanks. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, "Ah, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Pretty easy to identify what's going on there, isn't it? The blame game. The blame game's always been around. What, God? Who, me? Wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, God, either. It was that serpent. They were not owning up. Now, were they? To what they needed to own up to. You are made for relationships. You're made with the capacity to choose. And you are made to take responsibility for yourself. You see all those three dynamics of the DNA of relationships embedded there in that very first story. Fast forward, how many thousands and thousands of years, I don't know. You and I, this week, we've had some of the same kind of challenges. Where there's some disobedience going on. We're sort of apprehensive about God, maybe hidden from Him in certain areas of our life. And then, when push comes to shove, we're playing the blame game. It's not me, it's them. And so... We feel like we're out of control with what's happening in our relationships because of the other person. The other person has the issues. Well, there's no question the other person has issues. But can you change that other person? Some of you are on that route still today after all these years, still thinking you're going to change your friend, that you're going to change your spouse, That you're going to change your parents. I remember a number of years ago when my father was still alive. I just didn't like how my dad responded to some things. And I remember writing him a long letter. Dad. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Ba-ba-ba-ba. 
And, and I'm glad that I was able to pour out my heart and he didn't come back and whack me when he received it in the mail or call me up and go, who do you think you are? But did my dad change? No, he didn't. Now, it was therapeutic for me, maybe, and, and maybe he had some incremental change, and he was endeared to some of the things I say, and I never know, because we never talked about the letter. Why did I think that I was still going to change my dad when he was in his 70s? Don't spend your time trying to change other people. Just stay focused on changing yourself. And some of the beauty that comes out of that is sometimes, not always, the other person allows God to start to change them too. So the relational DNA needs to take center on our DNA and not the DNA of another person. And we talked about it in these weeks that you know a lot of times there's this hole that we have or this longing and we think that someone else is going to complete us. Well, if you think another person is going to complete you, then you don't you don't have scripture aligned the way it should be in your heart and your mind. There's only one perfect person, and he's available. His name is Jesus, and you can embrace him through his spirit today. And one of these days, when he comes or we pass from this side to the next, we're going to bury ourselves in his bosom, and he's going to embrace us and say, welcome home. I welcomed Amanda home just right before service. The physical touch you will have with Jesus someday. That God walking in the garden story is a story that's got an incredible ending to it because he's going to restore all things. But we live in these times of brokenness. And in times of brokenness, it's not only the brokenness of our own heart, it's the brokenness of the relationships around us. And even... This morning, there's uncomfortableness talking about some of that brokenness of relationships because we don't quite know how to deal with it or we just don't want to deal with the sting of the pain again. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for the brokenness you've experienced in your relationships or maybe is in your relationship right now. But can we look to the future for your own life? for your own marriage, your own courtship, for your children's sake, can we choose? Can we choose to let God change us and be responsible for that to which can lead us into pastures and alongside streams of beautiful fruit in our relational world? Gary Smalley, he passed away a couple, three years ago. His um, kids took over his ministry. One of his kids um, started a marriage intensive. And in this marriage intensive, there's a um, story that's told. Basically, they take four or five couples that are on the edge, like this is the last straw. There's no hope for this marriage. Doing it just to please one another or tell their kids, hey, we tried everything we could. They pull him away for four days or so and they walk him through this intensive. He shares 
a story that would happen in such a kind of seminar. Between sessions in the Midwest, I a clearly distressed couple, Dan and Celeste, approached my son, Michael. He's writing this. He had just finished a segment on how couples should try to find a win-win solution to their conflicts to that, uh, so that neither partner feels like a loser. We just don't see how we can possibly find a win-win to our problem, the exasperated woman said. Really, Michael answered. It's impossible, Celeste said, insisted. My husband has been out of work for six months and our conflict is about where we should live. Dan cut in her husband and quickly explained that he had been applying for work everywhere but had found nothing. Recently, an employer about three states away had offered him a job, but my wife is not agreeing to move, he said, irritation in his voice. She won't let us go. She won't do it. Both partners seemed very tired, a little angry, and extremely frustrated. So what do you think your problem is, Michael asked. The problem is that my wife ate the apple. My problem, (laughs) my problem is that my wife wants me to stay here in the town where we've lived for the last 10 years, and I want to move so I can work and provide again for my family. Okay, Michael said. So the conflict is about whether you stay or you go. Yes, basically. Dan agreed. Michael shook his head, and then to the great surprise of both husband and wife, he declared, that's not actually your problem. And with that, he started teaching them about the dance that was destroying their relationship. What he was saying to Dan and Celeste is that their surface problem is not their real problem. He was touching on a DNA truth, which is this. The external problem is rarely the real problem. In other words, what appears to be the problem is not often the real problem. It's just not. The issue is not the issue. So when Dan and Celeste, what is their problem? In order to help them find out what it was, Michael kept asking them one basic question. So what? This was not a flippant question that dismissed their problem as if it was nothing important. It was a serious question. Why? In your mind, is that a problem? He started by asking Celeste, well, what if you move to this new state? Why is that a problem? Well, I wouldn't be around my family, my friends, she answered. So, Michael responded, trying to make the woman understand the deeper issue. Why is that a problem for you? Well, because they're an important support group for me, she said. Okay, Michael replied, but you have a husband who will support you and you'll find other people. Why is it a problem that you would have to leave this particular support group? Well, after a few minutes of gentle prodding, this visibly distressed woman finally came with it, came out with it. I just don't feel like I'm number one in my husband's life. Ah, Michael declared, I think we're finding out what the real problem is. At last, she found the words to articulate the real problem, and it wasn't the move. I feel unimportant as if I'm not a priority, she said to Michael. So it scares me to move. I'm afraid I'll end up alone. And then she started crying. As the husband silently took it all in, uh, Michael stopped and turned to him. (laughs) For the next few minutes, the two men went down the similar line of questioning. At the end, the man also started crying. Honey, he said to his wife, I don't feel like a man. I'm afraid that if we stay in your hometown, I will continue to feel powerless. 
I feel that your family controls everything about our lives. Do you see it? The problem was not the move. The problem was that Celeste felt unimportant and that Dan did not feel as if he had control over his life. And notice something else very important about their problem. At the heart of the matter, at the heart of the matter, they both felt afraid. What about you? Ask yourself the so what question. Ask it several times. Where does it lead you? Where it leads you, you may be at the heart of your relationship problems. Sounds sort of simple, but it's actually quite deep and insightful. The issue sometimes, many times, is not the issue in your broken relationship. What is the issue at the core? And most likely, it's something that you're afraid of. I was reflecting on my own life this week and some broken relationships I had from about five or six years ago. And I identified some fears that I hadn't really thought too much about. I'm like, you know, that, that sort of drove me to some of the brokenness in that relationship was my own fear. Now, I can't control what they did. What they did is what they did. But how do I control what happened to me and the steps that I took or I did not take was reflective of some fears that I had that were going on in my life. Smalley refers to it as the fear dance. I hurt. And so I want something. And because I want something, I fear I'm not going to get that something. And so if I don't get that something, then I'm going to react in a certain way. And guess what happens when you react in a certain way? The other partner just does fine. No. They do the same dance. They hurt. They want. They fear. They react. Um, I brought my wife up the first week. I won't bring her up again this week. But hey, if the pastor's talking about real relationships that he, you know, has unpacked his heart. I don't know, what was it, a couple weeks ago in the living room, remember? Yeah. I mean, she sort of, she did what sometimes I refer to, some of you heard me say this, you've been premarital counseling. She, I felt she was gunny sacking on me. Do you know what that is? Gunny sack is a burlap sack that everybody carries on their shoulder, and they're really nice people because when something happens they don't like they don't want to say anything about it so they pick it up and so they put it in their gunny sack and they you know you know it's an illustration here guys hang with me you carry around the gunny sack right it's like oh he bought a cell phone we didn't need that cell phone but I'm not going in to say anything so you throw the cell phone in there all right, and then he is late or disregards some important meeting that you should have that they should have been at he's the dad for goodness sake, but okay, I guess it wasn't that important, so you, you throw that whole schedule book in there, and then all of a sudden, you know, things just start to get heavier, and you come home one day, and my goodness, he left the shoes in the middle of the floor, and I cleaned the floor, and you're like, I, I am tired. You pick up the shoes, and you throw them in the gunny sack, and then you say to yourself, what is this heavy thing I'm carrying around? And you're like, oh my goodness, this this is full. I, I, 
I'm done with this. And you walk over and you just gunny sack them. You just dump everything out. And the guy's sitting there going, I'm sorry, it was just, just the shoes. I'll make sure I move them five feet next time. Really, please. What's going on? There's a reaction going back and forth and this turmoil going around and around. And I, 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 I don't know if it was gunny sacking, but I felt I was getting gunny sacked a little bit on that particular day. And then just a little bit. But she had a lot of truth in that gunny sack. There was a lot of things in there. And if you do get gunny sack, friends, you just need to slow down and say, honey, let's just go through every item in this gunny sack until everything is a little bit better, right? But the stress in her life, and it was legitimate stress, ended up coming back to me and triggered, that's, I won't even say the statement, but it triggered, <laughs> it triggered one of my, my fear buttons. You have a button? Y'all have a button. Do you know what your button is? And if that button gets pushed, what do you do? Ah! I can't believe you said that. And then what do you do? You reach into your gunny sack and throw it out there. And before you know it, oh, oh, it's going, it's going. And sadly, we weren't aware that one of our kids was sort of in the room, or maybe we're not. And I'm like, oh, mom, dad, you okay? (laughs) Thankfully, our maturity in our relationship through the years. We know how to unpack that. It wasn't in that particular moment. We needed some space, but we came back and we worked through some of the reconciliation of it. But you know what happens in a lot of relationships? When the gunny sacking hits, when the fear button's pushed, that's it. It's a spiral down one hill and the relationship's done. And sometimes I understand it cannot be controlled because you cannot control the other person. But what I'm asking you here today is before God Almighty, with His empowerment and His help and helping you understand how you're wired and the grace of God, can you navigate through that fear button being pushed so that the relationship doesn't implode? And here's what happens sometimes. It's not that the relationship implodes, especially if it's in a marriage. You just choose to exist with it at its current level, and you become numb to anything better. Same thing, though, can happen in friendships. Same thing can happen with your relationship with parents. Same thing can happen in a relationship with your boss. I know that's a different kind of relationship, but you, you, you sort of do the dance. And, and, and so Smalley's talking about this fear dance and being able to dial in to exactly what is the fear that causes you to, to do this. And so you're starting to dance together, everybody, and, and somebody's just got to stop that dancing because it's harmful, it hurts, and you need to learn some new steps to the dance. And those new steps are found in the person of Christ, God made you relational beings. God pursued Adam and Eve. Where are you? You have to unpack it. You have to learn how to interact in some different ways that can bring ultimately some healing, strength, and progress in that. So, what is your fear? 
Gary Smalley says this, most women have a core fear related to disconnection. They fear not being heard, not being valued, somehow losing the love of another person, separation and being alone. That's the fear. You get behind it all. It wasn't the fear about the move with Celeste. It was the fear about disconnection. Most men, Smalley says, on the other hand, have a core fear of helplessness or feeling controlled. They fear failure or getting stepped on, losing influence or power over others. And I can relate to that. That's part of my button. I like to be able to be in control. I like to be able to provide. I like to be able to have some data boys. And if you push that button, like, you are one irresponsible individual. It's, ooh, ooh. How am I going to deal with that? I may be very irresponsible in that moment or whatever the issue was, but what am I going to do? So I, I, I just want to ask you what your what your fear dance is, what your fear button is. And I think it's great in the appendix of this book is a um, sort of little survey you can do. And I made copies of this because some of you need some homework today. (laughs) You can pick it up on your way out, the welcome desk. It asks you to identify a conflict, a recent conflict, argument, or negative situation with your spouse, friend, child, na- a neighbor, coworker, etc. Something that really pushed your buttons or upset you. Think about how you were feeling and how you wish the person would not say this or that or do things this way to upset you. You might have thought something like this. If you only would stop saying or doing fill in the blank, I would not be so upset. And then he As you identify your feelings, there's a host of those. And then identify your fears. And some of the fears listed here are rejected and abandoned, disconnected, like a failure, helpless, defective. And um, so on the list goes. Inadequate, unloved, dissatisfied. And and I think those are good to identify. And then it asks you to identify what your reactions are. And this is all sort of unpacking this because uh, do you leave the room? Do you shut down and not talk significantly? Other than your schedule for the next week, do you go and gossip to somebody going, can I, can't you tell you what you just did, right? I mean, how do you react in this dance? Oh, he just did that to me or she just did that to me. And so it goes through some of those escalation, trying harder, negative beliefs, blaming, exaggeration, tantrums, clinginess, uh, fix it mode, complaining, numbing out, humor, sarcasm. I think it's good. So you're going to come up with your three core fears and your three core reactions. Your responses to this exercise should help you understand your part of the fear dance, your core fear button and your reaction. Remember that it's very common for your reactions to push the core fear button of the other person in the conflict. If the other person can figure out his or her core fears and reactions, you will see clearly the unique fear dance the two of you are doing. But even if the other person isn't able to be involved in the process of discovering his or her part of the fear dance, you can take steps of personal responsibility to stop the dance. So, you're made for relationships, not getting away from them. It's the meaning and the value of who we are from the very get-go. You can't control all those relationships, but you can 
dial into your capacity to choose in those moments. And you can then take responsibility for yourself and just put it into practice one day after another, one dance step after the other dance step and see where it leads. You need the strength of God to do this. You can do it without God. I understand that because we all have sort of general revelation made in His image. He's able to help us give grace. But when you understand how much God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you begin to put yourself into the picture frame of the conflict. It's not the other person ate the apple. The serpent's the one who enticed me. You put yourself in the picture frame and say, we are both broken individuals, or maybe it's a group of friends. We're all broken friends together. And you begin seeing how much God's done for you. Freely you've received, freely give, Scripture says. And so we walk it out in that kind of dimension. I want to talk about forgiveness in this as we move to a close because inevitably there's going to be this aspect of forgiveness. I can't park here for a long time by any means. In fact, I've thought about taking a whole Sunday to camp here, but forgiveness is not forgetting. Dan Allender says this, to forgive means to cancel a debt you feel the other person owes you in order to provide, one, an opportunity for repentance and, two, a restoration of the broken relationship. Somewhere on that journey, the new dance steps, you and I need to be able to extend forgiveness. And forgiveness isn't giving somebody the license to hurt you again. I understand that. Forgiveness is not condoning what they did or did not do in their relationship with you. But forgiveness is letting it go into the arms of Jesus. He can take care of it. You were not built to hold bitterness and try to get somebody else to repent. Repentance is the job of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to other people. Let go of the debt you feel that they owe you. Well, I'm just waiting on them to show up and say they're sorry. Or if she would just turn around and make some changes, then we're going to be okay. No, they don't owe you anything. They've been given to you, if it's a marriage, as, as a spouse to love and to cherish. If it's a friendship, you've been given to one another to encourage on a mutual basis and walk down this journey of life together, broken and all, even when you have missteps. Be there for them, thick and thin. Do not take on the job of what the Spirit of Christ is. And so in this aspect of forgiveness, you're going to need to let the burden go that you feel someone else owes you. You don't have the ability to put it out of your mind necessarily. True forgiveness, Allender says, means hungering for restoration, revoking revenge, and pursuing goodness. You know, we have a turn and greet time here, and I had to smile to myself because I was reading something this week that in the early church they used to not do the handshake. You know what they did? They did a holy kiss. Four different scriptures talk about the holy kiss in scripture. 
And I'm like, hey, let's just all do the holy kiss this morning. How about that? But you know what the holy kiss was for in Scripture and during that culture at that time? Since then, we've sort of changed it to a handshake, so maybe a handshake of peace. It was a means of, uh, of demonstrating the reconciled relationships that were there, like there in that room. And so it was a holy kiss of peace, and they did it in preparation for their communion. And what they would do during that time of the service is like, if there's not reconciliation, then you take this time. If you're not able to do the holy kiss, then take some time in restoring that relationship. Can I ask you today, we're not going to do a holy kiss here. I'm not even telling you to go kiss that friend. I'm asking you, is there some reconciliation that you need to do in restoring a relationship? As far as it depends on you, Scripture said, we looked at that out of Romans just a few weeks ago. Live in harmony with one another. Take the initiative to change the dance. You're not forgiving them in the sense of condoning what happened, but you're releasing them in light of how Christ has released you the responsibility for the debt that you owe him through your sin. And then as you walk out the new dance, God, I believe, has the margin to bring healing and restoration. The first week of this series, we talked in 1 John about how there was this such a great love for us and God, who he is and all that he's done for us. We are to mirror in our relationships one with another, the God who created us to be relational beings, and we are to love one another. Sometimes that's tough love. Sometimes that's pointing out how somebody has sinned against you and you walk through biblical conflict resolution or restoration like Matthew 18 exhorts us to. There are ways to walk through it for sure, but as far as it depends on you, how are you going about this? Are you just reacting and, and putting more fuel on the fire? So in John 4, 7, it said this, Dear friends, let us love one another because what? Love comes from God. But if you skip down to the next section of verses after those we looked at a few weeks ago, it's just this simple exhortation. And so we know. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. For God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God is in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out what? Fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Pretty strong words. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Lord, across this room this morning, even from the very video that launched us into sharing these words, I am mindful, God, that there is hurt and pain from relationships that have been broken through the years, maybe a relationship that was recently broken or is at odds. 
maybe even a husband and wife seated beside one another today, but they're, they're not connecting. There would be no holy kiss of peace or even a handshake. And so, Lord, I'm mindful through Your Spirit that You're able to speak, and so I just ask that You would give the clear instruction that's needed for those individuals in this room who need to make some steps of reconciliation. And Lord, though they may not be in a place where they could honestly say they can forgive someone, and sometimes it is a journey, sometimes a long journey, I pray, God, that you would point them in that direction and help them be filled with your love. Because we know from your word that perfect love casts out fear, and the more we receive from you and acknowledge from you and embrace you and understand what you have going for us and what you did for us, Lord, that reckless love, we we can take that reckless love and make some rather reckless decisions in a good way for restoration. Lord, I'm thankful through my years that you've had your spirit prod me and even in sharing the story about my dad this morning, the beautiful relationship that we had through our years, I was glad that God, you'd prod my heart to communicate to him any burden that I might have had, and vice versa. And so, Lord, I just maybe pray for that work today. Whether it's a letter, whether it's a personal conversation, a phone call, whether it's just getting alone with you and dealing with our own stuff and our own brokenness, I pray that the obedient steps will be made according to your spirit for the wholeness of those those relationships. Whether they're friendships, God, whether they're work relationships, whether they're relationships in a courtship or a marriage, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be wholeness. An adversary, you have no rights. Serpent, you have no rights to bring division between God's created human beings and him and one another. No rights. So Holy Spirit, move and work. Not only for the relationships that are here at hand now, but for the relationships, Jesus, into the future. The future marriages, the future families, the future grandkid families. Lord, may you pave beauty in the future concerning our relationships because we're willing to deal with the fears and the insecurities and the unforgiveness in our life today. We thank you, Lord Jesus. May your blessing abide. And if there's anyone, Lord, in this room who does not know your love, I pray this morning that they would surrender their lives to you, receive you as their savior, and receive you as their leader, receive you as their forgiver, receive you as the one who can empower and strengthen them to make the hard choices, to make the right moves, to stay clear from fear or brokenness, and find peace in your presence. Lord, may we embrace salvation through you. In your name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Also, your serve cards, any prayer requests that you might have for us as a prayer team to be able to pray over. Let's sing this song again with a fresh awareness of what God has done for us.